Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, welcome this morning. Thank you for being here, being a part of our services today. You know, it's good as uh, we sing those songs sometimes just to be reminded of the love that God has for us. Sometimes it's easy to forget just how much he does love us, how much he cares for us, how valuable you are to him, how much you matter to him. Uh, in, In times where you feel beat up and you feel like you don't matter to anybody, it is so important to realize and remember that you matter to God, that you are loved by the creator God. I also appreciated as uh, Amy prayed and she talked about uh, uh, now being able to hear the wisdom that comes out of my mouth. Uh, I thought, well, that's appropriate. You know, that's a lot to live up to. I'm sorry, that's a lot to live up to the wisdom, but we know that it's God uh, more than anything. Well, I want to let you know about something that we're going to be doing here for the Christmas season. I know that the in-game series has been really heavy. It's been pretty intense. There's been just a lot to it. It's not a joyous thing to be thinking about in a lot of ways. It's really intense and really heavy. So what we're going to do during the Christmas season is we're going to push pause on the in-game series. That'll we're going to I'll have today and one more week that we're going to have the in-game series. We're going to push the pause button, and then during the Christmas season we are going to go through this series of messages called "A Weary World Rejoices." That is really hard to say. Just try to say that about 10 times fast. A weary world rejoices. Uh, Don't do it now. Just play with that later. We're going to go through and we're just going to have some looking at the good news. We're going to look at some of the hope and the joy and the peace that we can experience from God. And we're going to push the pause button on the heavy intensity of the in-game series and look at that during the Christmas season. And then we will get back and push play on the in-game series in January and pick it up at that time. If you have a Bible, though, today, we are back in this series, back in the heaviness and the intensity of this series. And so if you have a Bible or if you're following along on an app or if you want to follow along on the screen, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read together the verses that we've read each of these past several weeks. This is is the ninth message in this series. We're going to pick it up in 24 verse 3 and read through verse 14 again as we did the past couple of weeks. Let's look at this together. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's Jesus. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, he had just had a discussion in the temple. He had had a confrontational discussion in the temple with the religious people, the religious hypocrites of the day. He had said some things about the end times. He had pronounced judgment and what was going to happen. He came to the Mount of Olives. That was about a 30-minute walk away. His disciples came to him privately, and his disciples said, Tell us, when will these things happen? 
What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So he asked them three questions. When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? Tell us, Jesus, we're curious. We want to know. We want to know what to be expecting. We want to know what to be looking for. Help us to know when is it that you're going to return? What should we be looking for as the signs of your turn? Uh, what will be the signs, Jesus, of the end of the age? Yeshua, Jesus, answered them and said, Be careful that no one leads you astray. Deception is one of those things that's going to be the sign. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will lead many astray or deceive many. Now, that idea, again, is that many will come saying, I am of God. I am anointed by God. I have God's blessing on me. That's how they will come, and they will lead many astray. And indeed, we see that happening worldwide in churches that have gone astray churches that have uh, magnanimous leaders who are saying, well, I'm of God, and they're teaching things that are not according to Scripture. Then Jesus says, here's the other warnings you're going to see. You're going to hear of wars. You're going to hear of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must happen, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom are gonna, is going to rise against kingdom. Again, that's the ethnos. It's ethnic racial tensions will begin to happen. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all of these are just the beginning of the labor. It's just the beginning of the contractions that will finally bring forth and deliver the end of the age and the new birth, the new age, Jesus's reign, his millennial reign in this world will happen at that time at that birth. And then Jesus says what we looked at last week, then they will hand you over to persecution and will kill you. You will be hated by all the nations because of my name. People will hate you just because you identify with and proclaim the name of Jesus. Then many will fall away. There will be a plethora, a, a multitude of people that will fall away because of the persecutions that will happen. Many are going to fall away. Many are going to betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because of the lawlessness that's going to happen. Because it will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. Now, let me stop right there for just a second. Let me just give you a little bit of an update on things that are happening around the world just in the past week. And again, part of my goal in this is to get you in tune with world events. Don't be just looking at our nation. There's a lot of frustration and things to be upset about in our nation, but we are not not the center of the world. Jerusalem, Israel is the epicenter of all things. The Middle East will begin to heat up. Let me tell you about some of the events that happened this past week when it regard, with regards to betrayal, persecution, when it comes to people being hated, people being martyred for the name of Jesus. Here's just a few of the headlines. Ugandan pastor killed by Muslim extremists after a radio broadcast comparing Christianity and Islam. This pastor compared Christianity and Islam, and he pointed out that Islam is really a satanic movement. And as he pointed that out on the radio, Muslim extremists found him after his show was over, jumped him, and killed him there in the street because he dared preach anything against Islam. 
In Armenia, you've heard of the war probably that's been happening in uh, Azerbaijan and the Armenians. The fear that's going to happen there is that there's going to be Christian ethnic cleansing. They're going to try to wipe out Christian culture as a result of the peace deal that was struck with Azerbaijan. That is happening in our world. Here's another headline. Radical Muslims pledge $124,000 to kill a a Pakistani Christian over his alleged blasphemy. What did this uh, Pakistani Christian dare to say? He just challenged the idea and the politics and the theology of Islam, and he criticized the prophet Muhammad. And as a result, there is now a bounty on his head, and Muslim extremists are calling for Muslims to rise up around the world to track this guy down and to kill him, and they're going to pay $124,000 if you're willing to do that. Another headline, Islamic extremists kill 12 Christians, kidnap women and children in northeast Nigeria. That's just this past week. These are just this past week. Two weeks ago, three dead as woman beheaded in attack in French church, again by Muslim extremists. Just a couple of days ago, 50 people beheaded in Mozambique's troubled Cabo Delgado province. These Mozambique fighters who are part of the Islamic terrorist state, killing Christians, 50 beheaded. That is what is happening in our world. Those are the types of persecutions, betrayals that are heating up that we don't see that most often our news media does not report because it doesn't fit with the narrative of what we want it to say. Jesus says, these are the things that are going to happen. These are the signs. These are the events. These are the situations that will happen. And then he gives probably the most important statement that he makes throughout all of this teaching. And here's what he says. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures the end, the one who perseveres, the one who keeps going, the one who doesn't quit, the one who keeps fighting forward, keeps taking one step after another, this one will be saved. And then Jesus wraps up this part of it with saying, the good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, I've laid out this timeline for you, and you remember seeing this, and the timeline shows us the events that Jesus talks about. He talks about deception, false prophets, social, global, ecological pressures, persecution, and the hatred of Christians, a falling away from the faith, a betrayal, and a hatred of one another, lawlessness and lovelessness, but also a tremendous expansion of the gospel of, uh, of the, uh, the good news of the gospel worldwide, and then the end will come. Then it will be the beginning of what is called the three and a half year period known as the Great Tribulation, which will kick off in this event called the Abomination of Desolation. That three and a half year period will be known as Jacob's Trouble or Israel's Trouble. Israel's other name is Jacob. Jacob's Trouble. The greatest time of persecution, the greatest time of turmoil, it will happen in those last three and a half years. Then it says Jesus will return. Today, what I want to look at is that final statement that I read that was so critical that Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Today, what we're going to focus on is this most crucial of statements, and that is this idea of endurance, to keep going, to keep running, to keep persevering, even as we go through these things that are ahead of us. So today, the title of the message is Endurance at the End of All Things. Would you pray with me as we seek God in this? Father, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your words, Lord. We don't want to, I don't want to preach just, just my ideas. I want to understand what your word is, and I want to rightly communicate it. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to receive, hearts ready to, to receive, and minds willing to look at and understand what your truth says. And I pray here today, Lord, that it's not that people would just blindly take what I say, but they would be willing to be like the Bereans in the church in Acts, which sought out scripture who wanted to know for themselves if these things were true. And so, Lord, I pray for each one here, each one listening, each one who will listen later, that as we look at these words, that we would seek out in our own hearts and our own minds what is true. Father, help us not to be caught up in, in popular opinion, but just to know your word and help your word to be planted deep into our hearts. Father, teach us now. Use me as your vessel to speak your truth here today. It is in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. When you think of this idea of endurance, what comes to your mind? What do you think of with endurance? I often associate endurance with something like uh, running a marathon. If you are running a marathon, a marathon takes endurance. It takes preparation. Now, I know you wouldn't guess this instantly, but right now I am not in the marathon running shape. I know that's a shock. I'll let the shock kind of dissipate here for just a moment. I am not prepared. If somebody said, tomorrow, Aaron, you have to run a marathon, uh, I would be in trouble. It would not be a good thing. If the end times were sprung on us immediately without some time of preparation, we would be in trouble because the Western church today is not prepared for the endurance that it is going to take to go through these end times events. We are perhaps in mile number one of a 26.2 mile marathon that we are entering into. As we get further into this, there's going to be more and more temptation for people to say, I'm sick of this running, I'm sick of this, I'm going to sit down on the curb, and I'm going to let everything happen around me, I'm just not going to run anymore, I'm quitting on this. Or, for endurance, maybe you think of climbing a mountain. If you're thinking about climbing a mountain and you want to make it to the peak of a 10,000-foot summit, you maybe are at the base, or maybe you've made your way to the tree line and you realize, wait a second, there is still a long way to go. There is still a lot of things that I'm going to have to go through. The terrain is going to get more difficult. It's going to get more rugged. It's going to get colder as we move forward. I am not prepared for this thing that I am undertaking, this thing that I am in. I am not prepared to endure. Endurance is something that helps us to get through whatever it is that we need to get through. Some of you are in trials or hard times in your life personally right now, and you can't just quit on it. You can't just get, uh, just say, I'm done, and sit on the side of the road and let everything else happen. It takes endurance. It takes perseverance. It takes working hard through this. So today, what I want to look at 
is what the Bible talks about when it comes to endurance. Now, what I'm going to look at also is a lot of what I personally believe, and I'm going to share with you why I believe what I believe, and I'm going to encourage you to search it out for yourself. I am not saying you have to believe what I believe. I want you to use your mind and your heart and your ability to search out scriptures and figure some things out for yourself. Now, let me start it this way. How many of you have heard this term? The term is called the rapture. How many of you have ever heard the term? Can I just have a show of hands? If you have not heard this term, what the term rapture refers to is the taking out of the church. The church, the body of Christ. If you remember a few weeks ago, when I talked about what is the end game, the end game is that God is going to collect his bride. He is going to remove his bride. The bride is the church, and he is going to take the church out so that the church can be with him for all eternity. He is coming to gather his bride. The rapture is just the gathering of his bride, the removing of his bride, the church, from this world. The word rapture is not found in the Bible. The word rapture is a Latin phrase that we have basically put into all of our theological understandings. The word rapture actually comes from the Greek word harpazo. The word harpazo means the catching up. And so it's known as the catching up, the gathering of the church, the removing of the church from this world. Now, these, the reason I tell you all of this is because it's going to be important when it comes to how do I prepare for all of the things that are going to happen in this world. Now, there are three possible views of the rapture that theologians have wrestled with over the past, really the past century or past two centuries, that these have become an important talking point in theology. The first idea is this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture. The pre-tribulation rapture says this, that the church will be gathered and the church will be removed prior to any of the tribulation events happening that we have been talking about in Matthew 24. So if you put our timeline back up there, it would look like this, that the church is going to be removed before any of the tribulation, any of the hard times that we are facing. Now, Jesus talks about them in Matthew 24, but if the pre-tribulation rapture is true, the church will be removed prior to any of these events happening. Now, I want you to know that the, the way this came about uh, most prevalently through the book series called the Left Behind series. If any of you have ever read those books and you've heard those, those uh, or heard the books, that's where this idea is becoming most prevalent. It's this idea that the church will be removed. So you're walking along with a friend and all of a sudden that friend who's a believer, his or her, her clothes are in a pile on the ground, they're gone and you're here and you say, uh-oh, I just missed it. I just missed the rapture happening. That's the pre-tribulation idea. Now, I want you to know, I want to believe in this. I really do. I want to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because it fits with my idea of what I want for my kids. I don't want my kids to go through hard times. I don't want my kids to suffer. 
I don't want my kids to have to go through endurance. I love my kids. I don't want my wife to have to go through this. I don't want my friends. I don't want my church to have to go through hard times. And so I would love to say, yes, I believe in this. I want to believe in this. The second idea of the rapture that is common, this, this is a less common one. It's called the mid-tribulation rapture, which happens as you would guess, in the middle of the tribulation. This is not a very common thought, This is, but this, uh, there are some that believe this. Pastors typically fall in two camps, one on the pre-tribulation and on the next one that I'll talk about. The mid-tribulation happens this, that the church will be removed after the first events, but as the second half happens, before Jacob's trouble before the great tribulation that Jesus is going to talk about, then the church will be removed and we will not have to go through this. We will be sitting on the balcony of heaven, having a bowl of popcorn, watching all of these events happen below us. That's the second idea. The third idea is the idea called the, the, uh, pre or the post trib or also known sometimes as the pre wrath rapture. What does this say? It says that the church is going to have to go through hard times. It's going to have to go through hard events, but the church will be gathered up and will be removed prior to God's wrath coming. See, the tribulation and God's wrath are two separate events. The church goes through the tribulation, is gathered up by God, and then at the coming of Jesus, and then God's wrath is poured out on the world, an unbelieving world. That's the third idea. And the third idea comes right here, that that's where the tribulation ends for the church. It happens at the end when Jesus returns. You have the pre-wrath rapture. The church is removed, but the church is going to have to go through all of those hard times. That is the three ideas. Now, why do I bring up any of this? Because this is important when it comes to how do I prepare? Should I be preparing for escape or should I be preparing for endurance? That's the question. That's the question that we need to wrestle with as a church. Should I be preparing for escape or should I be preparing for endurance? Now, what was my title? My title was Endurance at the End of All Things. Again, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to search it out for yourself, study it for yourself, and you to come to some conclusions. Like I said, I want to believe badly in the pre-tribulation rapture because I don't want my kids to go through hard times. I just don't. I don't believe it. And I'm going to share with you today three reasons why I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And the way I'm going to share this with you today is look at the words, why I believe this, why I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. This common teaching that has taken over the church, why I do not believe in this, I don't believe for uh, three reasons here that I'm going to share with you today, but these are my beliefs and I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to search it. I want you to look through it because all of it will come down to should I be preparing for escape from this world or should I be preparing to endure during the hard things that we have in this world? So let me give you three reasons why I, why Aaron doesn't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. The first reason I don't believe it is because I do not believe it's scriptural. It's not scriptural. The reason I say this is we don't find it in the Bible. It can be inferred, it can be read into, 
It's in many passages, if you read it into the passage, there are many types and shadows, but there's not a single verse that really speaks to there being a such thing as a pre-tribulation escape during the days of trouble. See, in the Bible, there's really only four passages that deal with this idea of rapture. Let's look at these together today just to understand what the Bible has to say about it. Only four verses that deal with this concept. Now, there's a lot of things you can infer, read into. There's a lot of great arguments that are made, but there's only four real verses that talk about this idea of the gathering or the harpazo. Let's go back to what Jesus said. He said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's kind of a clear statement when he says the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's not a lot of things that you can infer or read into that statement that he makes, but people do. And I want to just start by defining the definitions as I often do. The word endures is the Greek word hypomeno, which means to stay behind, to stand firm, to patiently persevere to endure hardship, to remain, to abide, to not recede or flee, to hold fast under misfortunes and trials, to hold fast to one's faith in Christ, to bear bravely and calmly the ill treatments. So that's what it means to endure. The, the word endure, stand up, don't back down, patiently persevere, endure the hardships. So Jesus says, blessed is the one the one who endures this, who goes through this to the end, will be saved. Now, okay, what does the end mean? The end means what you think it means. It's the Greek word telos, and it means the end, the uttermost, the final ending, the termination, the limit at which a thing ceases to be, the end of the act or the state. And so here's what Jesus says, the one who patiently perseveres, who holds up and abides and remains until the end will be saved. Now, I've heard other pastors, even some that I well respect, who have said, Matthew chapter 24 doesn't apply to us. It only applies to Israel, which it's a good thought, but where do you get that? I don't understand where you can come up with that because Jesus never said that. So, so think about this. Jesus says, blessed is the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. If you skip down in Matthew 24 to the conclusion of all that Jesus is saying, here's how Jesus wraps up all of this in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. So, so here's, here's the train of thoughts. Here's what's going to happen. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. Then this abomination of desolation event is going to take place. It's going to be a horrible time for Israel. He says to Jerusalem specifically, when this happens, get out, run, get away. Hope that you're not there. If you're with child, it's bad news. Hope it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus says. He's speaking right there to Jerusalem because that's where the abomination of desolation event will occur. Then he says this, these words. He says, but immediately after the trouble of those days, what is the trouble of those days? That is Jacob's trouble. That is this conflict that's going to happen. Jesus said, look at these words, immediately after the trouble of those days, then what's going to happen? A prophecy that's found in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, and Zephaniah. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. 
Then, notice that word, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Well, what did they ask Jesus at the beginning? What's the sign of your coming? What's the sign of the end of the age? When are these things going to happen? Jesus says, then the sign will appear. What's the sign? The Son of Man. He's the sign. When you see him, you're going to know. Here it is. The sign of the Son of Man will appear, and then all of the tribes of the land will mourn. And what's going to happen? And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. With power and great glory, he will send out his angels with a great shofar. The shofar is the trumpet. A great trumpet blast will happen, and they will gather together his chosen from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So when will these things happen? After the trouble of those days, after you see the sign of the Son of Man appearing, then the church will be gathered and the church will be removed from one end of heaven to the other. So, so to me, in my mind, it starts to say, well, that means that we had better prepare to endure and not escape. Because it clearly states in what Jesus said that it's going to happen at the end of all of these things. Jesus doesn't say anything in his teachings whatsoever about this secret rapture that takes place prior to any of those things. He says it's going to happen after, after the trouble of those days. Then the sun will be darkened. Then these things will occur. Then the Son of Man will appear and he will gather his church from this world. He will gather his chosen. Well, that's what Jesus says. Well, well, let's look at a couple of other verses, two other ver three other verses that talk about these end times events. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul, in his writings, says this. He says, now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, concerning, now, now look what it's concerning, the coming of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and our gathering together to him. So what is he doing? He's combining it into one event the coming of our Lord Yeshua, and our gathering together to him. He's talking about it as this event. Don't get shaken out of your mind or disturbed, either by a spirit or a word or as a letter, as if though the day of the Lord has come. So what had happened was the Thessalonians had received a letter saying, you guys missed the rapture, and they were freaked out. And so Paul wrote a letter to clarify to them and say, look, I didn't write this letter. You didn't miss anything. Don't worry about it because the day has not come. The coming of our Lord Jesus and the gathering of our uh, gathering together to him has not come. Look what Paul goes on to say. Let no one deceive you in any way for the day. What is the day? The day is the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. That's the day. The day will not come unless... The rebellion comes first. That's the falling away. And the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. The one destined to be destroyed, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in the temple of God. Remember, the temple of God has to be rebuilt for these things to happen. And that the Antichrist will proclaim himself as God. So when is that day? What is the day? The day is the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. That day will not come until after people have fallen away. 
means persecution has already happened. It will not happen until after the Antichrist is revealed and the Antichrist has been sitting in his temple. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. Then the end will come. To me, that just, it sounds end. Another verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 52. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God because it's spiritual. And what decays, that's your physical body, cannot enter what does not decay. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep. That means die. We're not going to all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. When does that happen? It happens, look what he says, at the last shofar, the last trumpet blast. For the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised first, incorruptible, and we who are still living will be changed. When are these events happening? At the last shofar, at the last trumpet. Now, what is the last trumpet? Well, the last trumpet, you can think, you can look at the book of Revelation. There are three sets of sevens events. First, there is a set of seals that have to be broken. After the set of seals broken, and there's, there's things that happen which, with each seal that is broken, then you move into a set of trumpets. There are seven trumpets that are blown, and all kinds of chaos happens as a result of these trumpets. Paul says it's the last trumpet. What is the last? That is the seventh trumpet. Look at what Revelation 12 says. Then the seventh angel trumpeted, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his anointed one, and he shall reign forever and ever. Verse 18, the nations were enraged, but your wrath has come, and the time for the dead to be judged, to reward your servants, to the prophets and the Kedoshim, that's the holy ones, that is the saints of God, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, to destroy the destroyers of the earth. So what is he saying? When the seventh trumpet blows, that is when everything comes to a conclusion. When the seventh trumpet blows, the church is gathered to him, and then you have this, the third set of sevens, which is called the bold judgments. The bold judgments are known as the wrath of God. You have these other two sets of seven that are not the wrath. It's part of the tribulation, and then you have the wrath of God being poured out. In Revelation 14, here's what it says. And you just, again, this is what I believe, and I want you to research it for yourself. Then I looked, and behold, there was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man. Now, we have heard this reference before. Jesus just said, Matthew 24, I will come in the clouds. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended in the clouds. The angel stood be beside them and said, he will return the same way he went up in the clouds. Then I looked and behold, there was a white cloud. Seated on the cloud was one like the son of man. He had a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to the one seated on the, on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. 
So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Now this metaphor, this language is used in the Gospels by Jesus himself. He talks about the harvest, the field is ripe. So what is it talking about here? After the seven trumpets, at the end, the final trumpet blows, the, swick, the sickle is swung, the harvest, that is the believers in him around the earth are gathered up to him. And then what does it say right after this? It says, then they gathered up all of the rest, the unbelieving, the rebellious, and they gathered them up. They, another angel swung its sickle, gathered them up like clusters of grapes, put them in the great wine press of God where they were crushed. It's called the grapes of wrath. You've probably heard that term before. The wrath of God comes after the church has been harvested. When is the church harvested? It happens at the end of the harvest. It happens in due season. It happens right before the wrath. The wrath of God will come, but we won't go through the wrath, but we will go through the tribulation. Final verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And here's what Paul says. Now, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. They've, that means they've died. So that you don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. So if you have somebody who has died in your life, but you know that they were a believer, you don't grieve the way that everybody else grieves. Because you know they are in eternity. You can grieve with hope. For if we believe that Yeshua Jesus died and rose again, so with him God will also bring those who have fallen asleep in Yeshua. Meaning those who have died will be part of that coming back to gather up the church. For this we tell you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of God's shofar. What would that be? That's the seventh trumpet. God comes down with the blast of the shofar. We then, who are the dead, who have already died, are gathered first. And then we who are alive who have been left behind, who haven't been killed during this seven years of tribulation. We haven't been killed. We're still alive. We're still going. We're still persevering. Then we will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we always, so shall we always be with the Lord. So what, what happens in all of this? Well, this gathering happens according to Matthew 24 after the tribulation, according to, according to 2 Thessalonians 2 after the great falling away, after the Antichrist is revealed, after all the other trumpets at the final trumpet, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 12 and 14, and after the dead in Christ rise first. 1 Thessalonians 4. So all of that, to me, sounds pretty end. And that's why I say, this is why I believe this. Why does this matter? Because it matters whether you prepare your heart for escape or you prepare your heart for persecution. I want to be wrong. I want the pre-tribulation rapture to happen. I don't want to go through hard times. I do not want my kids to go through it. But my heart is prepared for whatever thing I have to go through. I'm prepared. I've gotten my heart ready to think that the end times are going to be bad. 
and I am ready to face them whatever comes our way. And God will continue to strengthen me and strengthen you to help you face whatever hard times are coming our way. Now, there are other verses that talk about this idea, but there's none that explicitly talk about the rapture. Again, you can read into, you can infer, you can, you can uh, make some assumptions, you can, you, can, um, you can project into it, but you can't come up with something that actually states it flat out the way that Jesus just stated, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the first reason. Second reason, I'll do this really quickly. The second reason is this, it's not historical. Now, what do I mean by this? Historical means this, it's not commonly taught throughout church history. This teaching did not occur until eight, in the 1820s. Prior to the 1820s, this is not something that occurred. Most people, most theologians believed in this pre-wrath kind of rapture that would happen. In the 1820s, something happened. In, in the 1820s, it started in Dublin, Ireland. There was a young girl, a Scottish girl. And this Scottish girl, whose name was uh, Margaret MacDonald, she had a vision. And in this vision, she had a vision of a secret rapture that happened prior to the Antichrist coming or prior to any of the tribulation events. This 15-year-old girl named Margaret MacDonald told a guy by the name of John Darby. John Darby was a pastor and a theologian who really took hold of this and began to wrestle with it and began to teach this as what was going to happen. John Darby had an influence on a guy by the name of C.I. Schofield. C.I. Schofield wrote a very popular study Bible called the Schofield Study Bible. That passed around throughout all of America. It was very common in America. C.I. Schofield had an influence on Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody's publishing company, the Moody, uh, Moody Press, was one of the primary printers of theological books around the country and around the world. And because of that influence, this idea has begun to spread. It's not a historical teaching. It's not something that ever happened prior to about the 1820s. Most often, it is common in the Western church. Why is it common in the Western church? Because in the Western church, it fits our comfort level and narrative that I don't want to go through any hard times, and I want this idea of prosperity, and because of that, it fits with my way of thinking. Do you know if you go outside of America, it's not commonly taught all that often, especially in countries that are going through intense, heavy persecution today? The ones that are going through heavy, intense persecution today do not believe this because they are in the middle of something horrific today. And you look at Mozambique, where they behead 50 people. They, they don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. They think we are in the midst of a tribulation. We are in the midst of such a hard time that we know that we have to persevere and we have to endure this. Do you know also that nobody really ever stumbles on this teaching on their own? Nobody ever just reads the Bible line for line and comes up to this conclusion of, you know, the church is going to be raptured ahead of time. Most often, people have to be taught this. And if you believe this teaching somewhere along the line, it's because this is what you were taught. It's not because you stumbled across this or just read this and came up with this. Most often, it's because this is what I have been taught. Again, what does this do to us? It does not prepare us for the hard times ahead. And many people, because of this, will fall away, be disillusioned, give up on God because of the persecution and the fact that we have not been raptured, 
and say, this is not worth it anymore. This could be, it could be detrimental to the church today. Again, I'm giving you my reasons. I'm not giving you what you should think or how you should think. I'm giving you why I come to the conclusion that I come to. And when I research it, I look and say, well, this is just not historical. Here's the third reason. I don't, I just, I can't wrap my brain around. I want to, again, I want to. It would be comfortable. It would be, I hope so. I hope that I am wrong. I have never in my life so hoped that I would be wrong as I am right now hoping that I am wrong. Third reason that I just, I I don't personally, I can't agree with it is because it's not only not uh, not scriptural, not historical, but I also find it not contextual. Now, Now, what do I mean by contextual? I mean this. In the Bible, you don't see very often, if really ever, times where God's people escaped persecution. Every disciple was killed a martyr's death except for John. And do you know that they tried to kill John multiple times? In fact, one time they tried to boil him alive in oil, according to church history. They tried to kill him, he just wouldn't die. Every other disciple died a martyr's death. How do you think they would feel if you said, no, no, you're not gonna have to go through this. It's gonna, you're just gonna escape it all. I think they would say, you're crazy. Because God has promised in this world, you will have trials and tribulations and persecutions. See, Jesus' message revolves around engagement and endurance. You go through this and then you engage your world. When you're in the middle of this tribulation, you engage your world. You don't try to escape it. You don't run away. You don't hole up in the mountains somewhere. You engage your world with the gospel. You endure this. You don't escape and have an exemption from all of this stuff happening. Again, why does this matter? Because it determines our focus. Should our focus be on preparation or should our focus be on escape? I'm going to share with you one last little story. And then I'll wrap this up quickly. One of my favorite speakers, authors, uh, you could call her a theologian, was Corey Tinboom. Many of you know that name. I've shared about her before. My wife and I had the privilege of going to her home in, uh, in, in the Netherlands. It was just outside of Amsterdam, the city that she lived. In her home, her father and she and her sister and brother all lived in this home. And during World War II, the Jews were being persecuted intense, in, in, intensely. Uh, they were being rounded up and systematically killed. They, this Tin Boom family could not tolerate that. They could not put up with that. And so they risked their lives by hiding Jews in their house. They would help Jews escape the country to get to a safe country. They saved babies. They saved children. They saved adults. They had a hiding place that was built into Corey's room that my wife and I were able to go see. Later in her life, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And in 1974, here's what she wrote. And I just want to read this as I wrap this up, saying this idea is not contextual. Listen to what she says. Corey Tumum writes this. She says, the world is deathly ill. It's dying. The great physician has already signed the death certificate. It's dead. Yet there's still a great work for Christians to do. There are to be streams of living water channels of mercy to those who are still in the world. It is possible for them to do this because they are overcomers. So she's going to write about being an overcomer. Christians are ambassadors for Christ. They are representatives from heaven to this dying world. And because of our presence here, things will change. 
She writes this, my sister Betsy and I, they were arrested. They were put into a Nazi concentration camp at Ravensbrück because they, <clears throat> they were committed, uh, they were, because, because they committed the crime of loving Jews. 700 of us from Holland, France, Russia, Poland, and Belgium were herded into a room built for 200. As far as I knew, Betsy and I were the only two Christians in that room of 700. We may have been the Lord's only representatives in that place of hatred, yet because of our presence there, things changed. Jesus said these words. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We too are to be overcomers, bringing the light of Jesus into a world filled with darkness and hate. Sometimes I get frightened as I read the Bible, and as I look in this world and I see all of the tribulation and persecution promised by the Bible coming true. Now I can tell you, though, if you are too afraid that I have just read the last pages, now I come shouting hallelujah, for I have found where it is written that Jesus said, the one who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my heos, which means his children, his offspring, his sons, his daughters. This is the future and the hope of this world. Not that the world will survive, but that we shall be overcomers in the midst of a dying world. Betsy and I, in the concentration camp, prayed that God would heal Betsy, who was so sick and weak. Betsy said with confidence, yes, the Lord will heal me. She died the next day, and I could not understand it. They laid her thin body on the concrete floor along with all the other corpses of the women who had died that day. It was hard for me to understand, to believe that God had a purpose for all that. Yet because of Betsy's death today, I am traveling all over the world telling people about Jesus. Now, look at what she writes. There are some among us teaching there will be no tribulation and that Christians will be able to escape all of this. These are false teachers that Jesus was warning us to expect in the later days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I have been in countless, or I've been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry before the tribulation comes, you will be raptured. Then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later, I heard a bishop from China say, sadly, these words, we have failed. We should, have been, we should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes to stand and not to faint. She writes this, I have a divine mandate to go tell the people of this world that it is possible to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in training for the tribulation but more than 60% of the body of Christ across the world has already entered into a type of tribulation. There is no way to escape it. We are next. She says, when I was in the concentration camp, a camp where only 20% of the women came out alive, we tried to cheer each other up by saying nothing could be worse than today, but we would find the next day was even worse. In America, the churches sing, let the congregation escape tribulation. But in China and Africa, the tribulation has already arrived. This last year, again, this is 1974. This last year alone, more than 200,000 Christians were martyred in Africa. 
Now things like that never get into the newspapers because they cause bad political relations. But I know, I have been there. We need to think about that when we sit down in our nice houses with our nice clothes to eat our steak dinners. Many, many members of the body of Christ are being tortured to death at this very moment, yet we continue right on as though we're going to escape the tribulation. Several years ago, I was in Africa in a nation where there was a new government that came into power. The first night that this new government came into power, some of the Christians were commanded to come to the police station to register. When they arrived, they were arrested, and that same night they were executed. The next day, the same thing happened with other Christians. The third day, it was the same. All the Christians in that district were being systematically murdered. On the fourth day, I was supposed to speak at a little church. The people came, but they were filled with fear and tension. All during the service, they were looking at each other, their eyes that were asking the question, will I be, or will this one that I'm sitting next to be the next one killed? The room was hot, stuffy, insects all over the room. There were, there were screenless windows. They swirled around the, the bulbs that were hanging. And I decided I would tell them a story out of my childhood. She says this, when I was a little girl, I said, I went to my father and I said, Daddy, I am afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, said her father, when you take the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Do I give it to you three weeks before? No, daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right, my father said, and so it is with God's strength. Our Father in heaven knows when you need the strength to be a martyr for our Lord Jesus Christ. He will supply you all you need in just the right time. She says, my African friends were nodding and smiling. Suddenly a joy descended upon that church and the people began singing. Later that week, half the congregation of the church was executed. I heard that the other half was killed some months after that. That's the type of persecutions that are happening. That's why I say this is not contextual. There's nowhere that it says that we get to escape, that we don't have to go through, that we, we don't have to endure. Jesus says, you endure it. You go through it. The one who endures to the end will, will be saved. In John 16, or I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Messiah will be persecuted. Everyone. It doesn't mean that you have to be killed. There are multiple for forms of persecution, but we will all be persecuted in some way. It could be a loss of job, a loss of income, a loss of material possessions, a loss of home. It could be a loss of freedom. You could be imprisoned for your faith. You could lose your life. All of us will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, stand up against him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being laid upon your brothers and sisters throughout the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory and Messiah, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. So I started with this verse, and I'll end with the same verse. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
Now, again, these are, these are not telling you how you should think. These are telling you why I believe what I believe. I believe that the church is going to have to go through hard times, that we are going to have to go through persecution, that we are going to have hard times that we are going to face. I believe the church has to be here because according to Romans chapter 10, how are people going to hear without the church? How are they going to understand without the church? How are they going to have the good news preached without the church? It will be the time of the greatest pressure that will happen for the church, but it will also be the time of the greatest glory of the church because the church will radiate the glory of God. So, are you prepared? Are you prepared to endure? Are you preparing yourself to escape? I hope that I am wrong. But as I read scripture, I believe that as people, we need to prepare ourselves in order to endure, to get our hearts and lives ready, to get our families ready, to get our loved ones ready, and to be able to go through these hard times together. Would you pray with me? Father, again, I know these series of messages are heavy. They're intense. They're, they're not light messages whatsoever. Talking about persecution, this is not popular. It's not fun. It's not something that I enjoy having to do, but it's necessary. Lord, it's necessary to prepare our hearts and prepare our lives to be ready to go through whatever we have to face. Again, Lord, I, I hope that I am wrong. I hope that the rapture happens for the sake of my kids especially, for the sake of my church, for the sake of the loved ones in my life. I don't want anyone to go through this. But today, Lord, around the world, there are fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we will someday meet in eternity. They are losing their lives. They're losing their livelihoods. They're losing their possessions. Their families are being divided, Lord, all because they follow you. So Lord, help us, prepare us, be with us, Lord, move upon our hearts that we would be ready for whatever comes our way. Father, I thank you for meeting with us today. I pray, Father, for your continued encouragement, your blessing your hope, Lord. We don't have to be in fear of these things because you will give us the grace we need at the time that we need it. You will help us, Lord, but you want us to stay connected and committed to you. So Lord, help us to do so. We thank you for the privilege of opening your word, Lord, and we pray for the uh, protection over your people. I pray for those that are suffering around the world today that you would strengthen them no matter what they are facing and what they are going through, Lord. Protect and be with them. It is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray these things. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.